Hello and welcome to What Moves Us, the podcast where we ask, what moves us? Or more accurately, what's going to move us in future? With the Rail Innovation Group's Johanna Randall and Liam Henderson, we look at debates, themes and decisions of the minute that will impact on the way we get about in the future. It is the 2nd of December, lockdown has finished, we're both in tier two. <laughs> Yay! So we still can't get together. Party! <laughs> <laughs> no party. Should so, so two things. So, so actually, it's interesting you said that second of December lockdown has finished. We're both in two tiers. So two things on the news this morning. So that I heard, even though I'm no longer watching the news, but it was on my alarm was that people were queuing outside Birmingham. Oh, um, Outside Birmingham, um, um, big store Primark. Yeah. <laughs> At six o'clock this morning, because they oh. just wanted to get ahead and get their Christmas shopping done. <laughs> Obviously, retail in the news because also, unfortunately, um, both um, Arcadia and Debenhams um, went in. Well, they were already in administration, but now that's at risk of quite a lot of jobs. So economically, but but we had positive news this morning as well, which was that um, two of the vaccines had been approved for use. Yeah, I think yeah, one isn't it so far, but expected another one. Oh, I thought both of them had been approved. I thought the Pfizer and the um, the AstraZeneca one had both been approved. Did I get that wrong? I think the AstraZeneca one is being um, is being strongly pushed towards approval, but not quite approved. Oh, right. Okay. Because that's so the one that we all get. News before Christmas. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so, so everybody was celebrating on the radio this morning. I think quite interesting, isn't it? You know, sort of like you know the innovation because obviously one of the vaccines that has been approved is using um, tried and tested methodology um, invented by um, Edward Jenner for smallpox Mm -hmm. um, in the 19th century. So really quite, you know, you know exactly what you're getting with the um the oxford vaccine shall, shall, shall we call because it's using you know that methodology but obviously we've got lots of ones that are using new methodologies using innovative and i think you know um talking about you know what you were saying um the other week when we were talking about the um the the um science behind it and how quickly that has happened in eight months you know because what was that what did you say it was 10 years research so and how that's going to not only is that going to help um in the current um to fight the current virus but will also be a game changer for huge amounts of illnesses and viruses that we've not been able to um find cures or vaccines um, for yet hopefully by the time i'm old they'll all be there to treat me (laughs) i've got loads of years So, so are we looking forward to Christmas then with this good news that um, there oh, may be absolutely. light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, I think the uh, the government announcement where everyone has to travel on the same few days is going to going to add to some drama over Christmas. I'm imagining a bit, a bit like the famous Chinese New Year getaway where everybody moves at the same time. Um, but do you think yeah. lots of people are going to go by public transport or do you think it's just going to be a car park on the motorways? Well, I think that that's coming from a view of someone who doesn't live in London, who doesn't have a car, so we'd have a choice. So, okay, so, right, so you are, so you are <laughs> travelling for Christmas. I am. You're going down to the New Forest. By train. By train, and all your family are going there as well. Are they all going by train, or are they going by car? Well, let's just clarify. All my family, within the household limits and guidance, 
Yes, <laughs> they are traveling, uh, but they, I know, are driving because they've got little children and we should have we should have a little follow-up podcast in the new year on your experiences what 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 days are you traveling on uh i am traveling on the 23rd 27th so the first day that you can travel but of course you'll be traveling on southwestern railway so you can just walk up and go can't you you don't have to buy a ticket on current plans yeah (laughs) so current plans yeah and the 23rd is that a thursday Wednesday. Wednesday. See, I'm not too sure. You see, um, just Christmas is passing me by. Well, I wouldn't say it's passing me by. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> in my bubble, and nobody's coming to join. Is it's just going to be my husband and I? Parity. The rules. The rules are that uh, you can mix with three households um, between the 23rd and the 27th, except if you're in Northern Ireland. So yeah. that means that because most of the railway is closed on Christmas Day and Boxing Day, you have either the 23rd or the 24th to travel to your Christmas celebration. And then if you use public transport, you can only travel back on the 27th, which is a Sunday service. So all the people that use the train can only travel on one day during a Sunday service. Some trains will run on the 26th though, won't they? Because you do still, because some of the no, Thameslink not. services still run. Yeah, but I'm not quite sure what, um, what um, sort of like Leeds Manchester runs as well. And obviously some there's TfL buses and things as well. And National Express still run. National Express mm. run on Christmas Day and Boxing Day. Very high capacity, those coaches, I hear. <laughs> yeah. So 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 there are options. I mean, I, do you, I, mean I, I don't have a feel for really how it's... I mean, I, I, well, I, I do... I think it's either going to be one of two things i think either everybody is just going to think i'm either not going anywhere and if i do go anywhere i'm going to go by car so i think unless it's like somebody like yourself who does not have the option of going by car those will be the people that will travel if they want to i think or, far more people in the country don't have a car than you may appreciate no i think lot i know lots of people don't have a car but um i think i think the fear factor of travelling by public transport for a lot of people is so great that i think you know that um i think people will just stay put if they can't go by car and and as you know i was talking to you about a, a friend who has 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 he even had covid yeah and even she won't travel by public transport oh, that is bizarre Except because there is because there is that fear because I think I think there is even if you've had COVID I think there is there is such an anxiety that has been built up in terms of getting the illness that you just don't want to risk it I mean and, and I would say I mean I can I wouldn't say I have an anxiety but I don't want to get it I mean I'm, I'm still traveling by public transport you know and I have been even throughout the you know um, this latest lockdown you know if I want to you know in the main I've still been cycling or um or walking but if I want to get the bus into Brighton or whatever I have still been getting the bus Mm. and that and I've you know so my behavior hasn't changed that much in that sense but yeah and I feel perfectly safe but I think you you know after nine months if you haven't had it I think you know particularly as we're so close to the vaccine as well is that if you haven't had it I don't think you really want to get it now because it's it's a bit like that I've been through all of this you know lockdown pain restriction not seeing my family why would I risk it at the last hurdle 
And I think there will be a lot of, even those people that aren't that scared are probably thinking that, you know, and doing our own little risk assessments. And mm. I think that probably leads on to my other, you know, point that, um, you yeah, know, so, so, yes, and, you know, and, and your point as well about, you know, not many people, um, you know, more, there are lots of people who can't, you know, who can't drive or don't have access to cars or whatever. And I think that, will lead to maybe chaos but may but maybe not because maybe the people that who can't drive or don't have access to cars will actually be starting to travel now because it may will maybe mainly the student population and if you say for yeah. example you know i'm gonna next um at um university of sussex and brighton university they're they're starting to travel home next week Mm -hmm. and this week they've been doing testing at the university and I'm sure they've been doing that at all universities throughout the country and as soon as um, a student has had a negative two negative tests then they're free to travel home yes so maybe you know so maybe the people that don't you know that will be traveling public transport will be more distributed than maybe that Christmas rush but if it is going to be, a, I think it'll be worse than Maundy Thursday, which is traditionally the busiest railway day of the year. <laughs> well, whilst we've been on the call, I have been looking at the railway websites. Um, incidentally, I forgot to say it for my... Uh, have they released the reservation system yet? Yeah, right. So here's a quandary for you. <laughs> How, right. So you have an affinity with Pit Lockery. Yes. So if you want to get the sleeper train back from your Christmas celebration... A sleeper train doesn't run on Saturday night, so that would be the night of the 26th. You could only get it on the night of the 27th, but then you'd be arriving after the window of travel has finished. Oh, yeah, but 28th, what day of the week is 28th? A Monday. It's a Monday, it's officially a working day, isn't it? No, because it's the Boxing Day Bank holiday. Oh. But the government allowance for travel finishes on the 27th. Oh. So are However, you breaking the rules? You would be if you arrived on the sleeper train on the morning of Monday the 28th. But it's irrelevant anyway because the sleeper train is sold out, as I just looked on their <laughs> website. Uh, now I'm going to try a journey to go to leave London uh, on in the build-up to Christmas. Because last time I looked, they hadn't released any seats. Oh, I think they all have, and they're, they're selling quite quickly. Because I know that there was a bit of, because I know last week, wasn't there, there was a bit of um, controversy in respect of um, the government asking them, asking the railway to delay um, engineering works to allow the Christmas getaway and yeah. to allow people to get home and that. And I think it's... Um, yeah. It's quite it's quite difficult to do, and I don't know whether um, ministers or, or or parliamentarians understand how many years some of the um, engineering works would have been in the planning. Because when you think about yeah, I mean Kings Cross um, will have them um, limited services over Christmas because they're currently in the middle of a big upgrade program on the resignalling. So, and that would have been I mean I, that has been in planning for about ten years, I think. So. It's really um, difficult to stop work or delay work and people would have been booked to do the works and that. I mean, yes. So I think the, the, yes, but if you're a consumer and you're now looking at it being a really busy period, it seems for, from the public point of view, how on earth have you not managed to do these works for the entire year where no one has been on a train? Especially I guess that's... Period, and then you run the works at the time when everyone needs to travel. 
but I guess that's the point isn't it that you don't make these decisions three weeks before this work has been because this work would have been planned you know this would this would have been in the in the calendar as long as three years ago and I want to let you know how these projects work in terms of the project planning and the fact that the nearer you get to the to the actual dates the more assurance you need that the, the project is going to go ahead so if you were going to make if if you know during the context of the pandemic if you were going to make a decision to say move the engineering work even if it was just four days the time to have done it would have been at the latest 12 weeks ago yes but not but taking the view taking the taking the view of the consumer and um newspapers for example that just sounds extremely inflexible and not responsive to demand and need which is, it will be another it will be another uh, reason why people complain about railways i don't think this this issue is the railways problem i think it's the government and ministers and being indecisive about um, how they're planning things and what they want to do and I think and I think that not just railways are extremely frustrated but I think businesses are extremely frustrated that they can't seem to be able to plan and stick stick to simple rules because I think to be quite honest anybody could have foreseen this was going to be needed three months ago yes. and Grant Shapps could have had a conversation with Andrew Haynes and train operators and said, this is the plan I want over Christmas. They could have planned for that and they could have done that over the summer, but they didn't do it. Um, and I think it's just typical of um, policymakers and, um, and government of just... Um, putting their heads in the sand and hoping things will go away and only dealing with it at the last minute rather than dealing with it when it's probably easier to deal and to plan for because you know it's a bit I mean you only have to look at you know I mean it was in July you know or September when it was before before sort of like cases started going up again where Boris was saying it will all be over for Chris by Christmas you know it was that typical you know over optimism I mean I think they I mean there is a term for it Stockdale syndrome where you know where people are over optimistic when actually what you want to be is you actually want to be to a certain extent over pessimistic and planned for the worst but actually get the best because actually if it had been all over for Christmas and they'd have planned it then it would have been so much easier to have put it back in okay. well, be flexible you see and it's as a result of that that now the consumer is dissatisfied because you've got to remember it's not I mean like this isn't a private business anymore this is completely being run by central government yeah 
So, so there is no there is no power in the railway to do anything at the moment because it is being directed by central government. So this this is that anything that goes wrong over Christmas is purely at the hands of central government, and that's why you can't run things from central government. And I'm not I'm not advocating nationalisation or privatisation. Just that you can't run things from central government. You know. The test and trace system has shown this, you know, the way the whole, you know, it is all, you can't centralise these things. Things have to be run from people that know what's going on on the ground. Right. Well, there, is a Christmas, there is a Christmas star uh, who, has been, who has been put in charge of making sure the transport works. So now they have someone uh, to uh, blame. But again, too late. Now they have someone to blame. Too late. Put in too late. <laughs> <laughs> okay that was fun well yes something like that <laughs> uh okay we're going to talk to deb in a minute about uh the work streams we're doing for the renovation group so after our wildly successful meetup last week um about cargo taking cargo on passenger trains again showing they can be flexible so uh we will bring her in in a minute uh, that is going to be a great story so, hello. I should say that we have just paused for a few hours, and now you have a Christmas hat on, Johanna. I'm <laughs> <laughs> missing out the decorations. You can see there's a sleigh in the background as well. <laughs> so, what's in the background? A sleigh. A sleigh. Yes, I do have a sleigh in the background. It's quite good, actually, isn't it? Shall I show you? <laughs> to make a little hallway Christmas display, just in case Santa doesn't know where to come or anything, or needs some assistance. Oh, is that? That's lovely. <laughs> I love it's a cardboard it. box, so you can put presents in it if you like as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've got foxes and all sorts of things to go with it. <laughs> On December 2nd. On December 2nd. I like it. I think everyone's going all in for Christmas early this year, aren't they? Just to try and raise their spirits. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know whether I should confess this, but I have actually had my tree up since October. <laughs> and I always have four trees so I only had the one tree up and now I'm just getting the, the rest of them Any done as well tree. so I've spent I've actually spent the the intervening period getting my outdoor Christmas display done so it's all lit up and everything for later on today <laughs> wow. I love Christmas yeah I can tell I can tell <laughs> I Christmas too I love Christmas yeah Deb you often join us when we have big news from the Rail Innovation Group so tell us what you're working on now well, uh, we've got two very exciting projects on the go at the moment. We have got one which is looking at ticketing. Um, I mean, I'm probably going to get you to talk more about the detail of it, but um, what we are trying to do is to pull together some kind of um, a piece of uh, an, uh, an article or a thought piece initially that's going to be of interest looking at... Um, I suppose ultimately how the rail industry can work towards a more kind of streamlined approach to ticketing in it that's what that's what we're doing isn't it yeah so we are you going to use our our sort of innovation community to help us with that um so yeah say some more about that then um we did a workshop and we had a vision for a future ticketing system that was ticketing both the ability to travel like as though the actual ticket and also what happens in the background to make the journey to give you ability for the journey. I can see Johanna nodding 
I am nodding. <laughs> so, <laughs> very good stuff. Um, yes, so we're going to get involvement from the members um, and write really a vision and what could what you could get to, whether it's with cryptocurrencies or anything else, how uh, you basically just don't need to, you don't need to go through this very laborious process of buying a ticket for every journey you could just streamline mm. go through journey it's kind of putting the is putting the traveling passenger at the center of the ticketing kind of concept isn't it really which you would think would be <laughs> so <there's, laughs> anyway as it's the t as it's the traveling passenger that is paying for the, this ticket but i feel like it's kind of everything else has come ahead of the fact that actually what you need is a use is, is a user-friendly ticket you don't want to necessarily have to buy millions of different tickets or search forever for a cheap, you know, ticket or what have you and all of that. It's like, this is a new beginning post-COVID, as, as everyone is saying, including the government, you know, this is an opportunity to look at things differently. And I guess, you know, the, the, a lot of things on the transport system have been kind of paused or slowed down at the moment. So it's a good time for the industry to kind of, really look at that and an opportunity to actually do make some changes because that's what's needed yeah. it is interesting to think how much things will or will not be different say 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 we're you know we fast forward to to christmas 2021 and we have a vaccine and um life has returned to the way we want we want to um, enjoy and live our lives again and we've been partying all summer and everything it will be interesting to think how much of our behavior from 2020 will stick and how much of it will go back because I think you know in researching for this ticketing piece and also in some other webinars and and things that I've seen with you know the the railway industry association and Ukraine and stuff there 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 almost seems to be a, a train of thought going that people will start traveling back to public transport, but um, the railway industry or you know, bus companies, whatever, are going to have to work a lot harder to win those um, customers back because of the fact that there'll be a period where people, because they're not traveling so often, might be more inclined to get in their car or other modes of transport. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think all of this, I mean, everything that, everything that's happening I think next year is going to have to sort of, or should hang on, on the, on the, on the kind of sustainability climate change kind of sort of banner, uh, overarching kind of banner, because we, you know, you've got COP, uh, COP 20, 26 on in November and you've got, you know, people like, I don't know, Mark Carney saying we need to be doing things differently as a country, as a, as a mm. not just as a country, but you know, as a as a as a global community, really. So, even ticketing, you know, if you're going to encourage people back to a sustainable form of transport, then ticketing has got to work, you know, because it's got a big. That's got to be part of the story of why people might want to go back to sort of traveling wherever they're traveling use not using their cars but to do that you know like the end-to-end -end journey kind mm. of argument needs to work and the main way that that does work is if you don't have to buy three different women tickets let's face it so I think he you know you you could certainly hang that on the kind of argument for you know, this is part of the UK's drive to net zero, to achieve net zero. Which apparently, rumour has, is uh, the government is under pressure to bring it forward. 
well it probably is i mean lots of like you know lots of the sort of big big companies that operate in the uk are, are, are giving themselves internally targets much sooner than 2050 um yeah so you know 2030 which when sounds like a long way away but it's actually it's, ten years. <laughs> it's 10 years away rather scarily which is not very long is it to make yeah. the sort of changes that are probably going to be necessary to kind of decarbonize our economy and it's interesting about having more challenging targets isn't it because when liam and i were talking earlier we were talking about isn't it you know amazing of the announcement today that one of the vaccines has been approved and that has been developed in eight months yeah yeah, yeah. and so when there's an imperative there you know we can do stuff and I think what's interesting you know if you take that leap forward to say 2030 about what type of world we want to be and what type of behavior we need to change is that actually you know this year in the context of world history will seem a blip in comparison to climate change and so given that you know when we apply our minds and put effort and funding into it we can achieve these things so so maybe we should stretch ourselves absolutely yeah absolutely and i think you're absolutely right johanna it's like the imperative is there it's where it it, it, it obviously the imperative has been there for developing a vaccine to this you know to this virus because it's you know it's caused our economy to come to a grinding halt essentially but i suppose for the climate it's more about you know making the right people you know leaders in the right areas you know same will happen in the climate yeah it will affect the economy i mean you only have to look i mean just conservative research by the king's fund shows that forty thousand people sorry my phone's just ringing (laughs) (laughs) Forty thousand people in the uk alone die as a result of um, pollution in our atmosphere yeah, yeah. This, yeah, this is through, you know, lung conditions, asthma, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So so that's a year. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, you know, when you contextualize it against the COVID-19, that's still 80 percent, you know, 80 percent of the same amount of deaths as, as COVID-19. Given that we now have a, a vaccine that will now start to decline, whereas deaths from pollution will continue to get up and this to grow unless we do something about it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yes. Well, wow. that's so. Oh, you well, you asked me to going back to your original question, which is what else are we doing? So we're doing the ticketing thing, which we can come back to, but I will also say we're doing them. Um, a piece of work on uh, looking at how uh, rail and e-cargo bikes can be kind of a winning combination uh, in kind of end-to-end parcel deliveries, in, especially for sort of city regions. So we've been looking at, um, we've been looking, we had a workshop, didn't we, last week? Was it last week? I must yeah. say my concept of time this year has gone completely <laughs> off. Yes. So, so no idea. When's Christmas? I, I have no idea. I can't. Once something's happened, I can't quite work out when it happened. That doesn't matter <laughs> what it is, whether it's kind of a meeting or a major sort of family <laughs> event or anything. It's really very odd. I don't know how that's happening. But anyway, so at some point, not today, we had a um, workshop 
Uh, we had a really, really good kind of uh, wide ranging set of people. Some of obviously the rail innovation group sort of family and connections and wider um, to sort of consider what's actually happening in the, in that kind of space around you know rail and e-cargo bikes and where things are happening mm. i think well i certainly didn't realize i didn't know that anything was really happening actually um so it was really interesting to hear from a few quite a few people who are already running quite long-standing projects for example bringing um medical st- supplies into 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 uh, into a city and then you know ferrying them off on um e-cargo bikes but again, a project that sort of hangs on this whole kind of, you know, sustainability sort of policy area. Um, so I think for us, what we are going to do is try and sort of pull together into one place um, a bit of a kind of this is what is happening in the sector. And this is why it isn't being developed more widely, we think. And yeah. this is what needs to happen for it to be to become more of a kind of the norm. This is a huge opportunity. Yeah, there is a huge opportunity, I think. Um, but again, it's about doing things differently. So it's where the, I think the Rail Innovation Group has got quite a good, uh, well, certainly it's a good place for us to be, isn't it? To be sort of um, shaking, trying to shake things up a bit, I suppose. Um, I thought it was a really interesting workshop you know as you say you know sort of like the stuff that is going on but what I also thought was really interesting because over I'd I'd say over the last decade I've been yeah I'd been having various conversations with some of the people on the workshop you know from rail freight group and um yeah I mean like um doodle weren't there but you know from when I was was at um, King's Cross Station and I think what was interesting about, you know, and, you know, to your comment was just how slow progress is and why isn't more happening? Yeah. Yeah. And why we aren't innovating quicker and why it's so difficult to get to get stuff like this off the ground. You know, where is that imperative to do it? Yeah. And also what are the blockers? And I think this is something that this project is going to be able to kind of hopefully unpick. It's like if we can talk to one of the participants of the workshop who's been who, who was telling us on, on that workshop that they've been running that, a, a service like that for the last 10 years. And you think, well, that, that's, that's great. And I want to hear more about it. But why, why is it that we haven't, that that hasn't started to be kind of replicated out in other areas, you know? It, feel, it felt to me a kind of, and obviously we're at the beginning of lots of different conversations. So I could be completely wrong, but it felt to me like it was sort of being done just, it was it, it, the, it, the rail the rail it felt like the rail sector and the logistics sector are working in parallel not not talking to each other that's what it, it felt like kind of it was being done despite the logistics in yeah with it you know and I feel like that might be where one of the blockers is but I, but I, to be honest we we're, I'm yet to sort of find out anymore really so I look forward to hearing more about that then Yes, yeah. definitely. Well, we want to try and put a sort of an initial paper together that, that looks at what we're, where we might, well, you know, how we could support that kind of being rolled out in, in a bit more of a kind of sophisticated way. But also we need to speak to people that might want to fund this, that project going forward. So um, if you're listening and you might be interested. We're looking to do some pilots. Yeah, exactly. We can do some, we could do some pilots. We can, you know, there's lots of things, there's lots of things we could do with that. It's a quite an exciting project, I think. That does sound exciting. It is very exciting. I am very excited. I expect to see you on a bike at the next meter. 
Oh, no. I'm, <laughs> no. I'm, I, I'm, I, I can't, I'm not very good at riding bikes anymore. I'm too scared of the traffic. <laughs> I'll That's why we've got the segregated cycleways, except the one in Kensington that's just been ripped out. Yeah, <laughs> well, I live in Ken. Our cycleways, they're not joined up. There's just bits of them, and then you have to join the main road. Never a good thing, is it, really? I used to be an avid cycler on the roads, as in I used to use my bike as a mode of transport, not just I'm going out for a bike ride. I yeah. used to use my bike to get from yeah. the but I, I don't. I, know. I certainly used my bike more when I lived in London than I do outside of London. And, it, and it's exa- exactly that. It's just that it's just, I mean, because people always say to me, what well, used to cycle in London? But I actually find cycling in London quite safe because a lot of it ca- is segregated. Yeah. But also, I think just by sheer amount of traffic, nothing's going terribly fast. No, I know. I walk everywhere. I'm a great, I'm an avid walker. So I walk places to get, you know, to get from A to B doesn't matter you know I'm always amazed at how many people don't actually if it's longer than five minutes think oh no I'm not walking all that I mean I'd happily walk an hour to get somewhere you know it doesn't bother me and it's a nice way to but but then you do notice things like you know where you can cross roads safely and all that kind of thing which as a pedestrian yeah is really really important and in some places you know well where I live they kind of nicked the pa- they nick the pavement to the cycles yeah. to the cycle paths which is equally not i don't think you know it's not really that's not, not right is it no because i think actually what you want to do is encourage people to walk as well you yes, know? You do. um well, the new and- hierarchy that they've been they've been trying to lobby to put into the highway code does have pedestrians at the top and cyclists yeah 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 and i, I, I I'm, I'm totally down with that it's amazing how unless you walk places you know, you don't realise those kind of things. You, don't, you know, you think actually, how are you? How can you get from that side of the road to that side? Of the I road? find it ridiculously oh. cheeky when there's roadworks. In the roadworks, will stop the pavement and say pedestrians cross the road, but they won't impinge the traffic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it what it is? <laughs> so it's as like a pedestrian, you get really inconvenienced and have to walk because around. Because roadworks probably don't get measured for disrupting um, pedestrians, <laughs> but get measured for disrupting <laughs> traffic. <laughs> so that's. But I wonder. Of- Going back to the topic, if there's more cargo bags, so there was a there's a some uh, news story about FedEx starting to use cargo bags. I wonder if as more people move to rely on bike lanes, cargo bikes, then you'll start to get corporations also now putting back in behind cycle lanes because mm. it's the only way they can reliably get their freight to a destination because they can't sit in traffic. They can't guarantee by 10 a.m. if they're Bands are all stuck in traffic. That's an interesting thought and an interesting way to change behaviour, isn't it? Because you're influencing the corporates and them and their sustainability models that they want to build, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I was trying, I was picking through the stuff about the Thames crossing, you know, which the planning application seems to have gone in and then come back out again. I was thinking, oh, I wonder whether that's to do with you know, because uh, I'm sure there's going to be, well, there's 100% going to be legal challenges to the government on in- investing in something which is just purely a road scheme, you know. Um, you which, have got to think that the road schemes are all under threat. They you? are under threat. In, I mean, I'm not <laughs> saying, obviously, that you're never, we're never going to build any roads in this country, of course, but... A motorway, a new motorway. If the, if the imperative <laughs> is... Um, you know, and I get that obviously everyone wants to move towards electric cars and all that kind of thing, but still, you know, there's issues with congestion and all those kind of things. It's it, it's 
you know, if that imperative is to, you know, to decarbonize the transport system and encourage people onto more sustainable forms of transport, then it does, one would imagine, make the business case for building things like the Thames Crossing as it stands quite difficult think, or more difficult. The thing people need to, to consider when, um, when we make this switch from petrol and diesel cars to electric cars, in terms of space, and an electric car still takes up the same space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It still needs to get its energy from somewhere, regardless of whether that is a sustainable source or not. But I think for me, one of the most compelling reasons why we should still look to drive less and to choose other modes of transport is that you still get pollution from electric cars in the high street, you know, from brake dust and from the tires and things like that it is only the energy that a car uses is only part of the pollution that it creates yeah, yeah. and so i think when people are thinking about that decarbonization and what we do individually and also as a country that we need to consider what all the options are and not just you know what um you know that one that one aspect of it well, it, that's an interesting thing, though, isn't it? Because if the, if the imperative is going to be, keep going back to this imperative for, for, you know, our net zero thing that we have as a country got to kind of get to, if that's the imperative, then actually everything else, if you can, you know, we have to, we hopefully might get back to some kind of evidence-based policy making, I suppose, which I think we've kind of fallen slightly short maybe of. That, maybe that's a job for us for next year. Yeah. That we're talking about the imperative and getting back to evidence-based decision-making. Exactly, yeah, because that's surely where we need to be, isn't it? You know, because then you don't have to listen to shouty people necessarily. You can you can listen to, listen to the evidence. Yeah, but the local authorities still, it's politics. Well, but politics used to be about weighing up experience know. and evidence and views and that exactly. and then making the decision on a balance of or what the evidence was telling you what the evidence is telling you and what's best for the community that you're serving yes. yeah. because yeah. politics is about making tough decisions sometimes hmm. because um, i'm like unpopular decisions unpopular decisions because yeah. i'm like in 1983, it would not have been popular for everybody to wear seatbelts. It would not have, it was not a popular decision. But could you imagine getting in a car now and not wearing a seatbelt? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like some of the things that we used to be able to do, we just consider mad. And I think that's, and I think in the context of 2020, I think it's quite interesting saying that, you know, that what appears normal yesterday can actually appear abnormal today you know so though in 2030 we might be looking back and saying actually isn't it mad that we all used to get in cars and do this and and the high you know and that cars could go down high streets and they weren't pedestrianized and so yeah. like, you know we would we we could think that I mean because it's a bit like I went mean, you know just bringing it around to trains again I'm like just imagine yeah I'm mean, because as soon as you know sort of like 15 years ago you could still get on a train and you could open the door while the train was moving yeah I know um, is, I mean, like, it is madness. It is yeah. madness. Some of these things will appear madness in the future. We have to, you know, when it comes to this imperative, we have to think about that. Yeah, we do. That is right. very true. Well, keep us updated on your work stream. I will keep you updated. Yes, ticketing and e-cargo. Here we come. Johanna, <laughs> <laughs> I will see you soon. Take care. 
So thanks for listening to another episode of What Moves Us. We hope we moved you. For more episodes, you'll definitely want to subscribe to our channel. Until next time.